Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Black City, how we living tonight? Hey, good to be with you guys. Like Scott said, we're starting off our series, Mixed Emotions. We're really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a huge blessing as we close out the year. I cannot believe it's already November. That is wild. We've uh, only got a couple blocks left, so we've got to make the most of them. We're looking forward to it. But as we get started tonight, I want to tell you guys the story of a man named Willis Henderson. Willis Henderson, and it, just up front, this is actually really a, a tragic story. Willis had a really tough upbringing. He didn't really do much to try to combat that, though, and so he very quickly turned to a life of crime. And at first, he was in and out of juvie for kind of petty crimes, you know, just stealing stuff from the gas station, stuff like that, and ultimately, he started turning to more serious crimes, like arson and homemade explosives. And he made enemies with one of the judges in his hometown of Cumberland, Maryland, Maryland. And Willis was put in jail multiple times by this judge, and multiple of his friends were put in jail, and they were given longer and longer sentences because the judge was trying to get through to them. Willis didn't like that very much, and so none of uh, his arson or none of his explosives had been very targeted before this, and he had never really intended for any of them to be violent, but he realized, man, I want to do something to scare this judge. I want to do something to make him leave us alone, to scare him out of town. And so Willis made a homemade bomb, and he mailed it to, through the post office to the judge's office. So something went terribly wrong, and the bomb actually exploded in the postal office and killed a worker. Willis was very crushed by this. He, he was heartbroken, and he, he didn't want to kill anyone, and he was overcome with remorse, and he actually ended up turning himself in. He went to the police and said, I was the one who did that. He was sentenced to life in a medium security prison. And over the years, one of the lieutenants, a man named Harold Gray, he became friendly with Willis. And he noticed Willis throughout the years was really changing. Willis was starting to really be a model prisoner. He was kind to everyone. He would try to help people. He was very warm and welcoming. He obeyed the rules. He was a hard worker. He tried to keep order in the area. And so much so that over the next 30 years of Willis's imprisonment, Harold would, would count on Willis as a prisoner who he knew, we, this man can keep the peace. This man can talk other people down. Willis was well-liked by everyone in the prison, the guards, and the prisoners alike. And so after about 30 years he's been in prison, the parole board starts talking about, okay, who's someone that we can let back out into society? And naturally, Willis's name comes up. And Harold is ecstatic about this. He said, man, this is a man who has been changed. This is a man who is a different person than when he came in. And so the parole board was excited about this. And they thought, man, we can't wait to give this guy a second shot. We can't wait to give this guy a chance. And, and Harold, he heard about this and he knew that Willis was going to be up for parole. And so he went and he told him. And he was like, Willis, you're going to be free. But, but Willis, he didn't take the news very well. 
he, he kind of looked weird and said, oh, interesting. And Harold was confused. He said, well, it's the, the prison doors are basically open. The chains are basically off your hand right now. You're going to be free in just a matter of weeks. And Will said, yeah, 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 it's, it's great. The next morning, Willis brought Harold a homemade bomb that he had made in his cell that night. Handed it to him. Said, I made this for you. Naturally, the bomb defusal unit runs in from the nearby army base. And they defuse it only to find that there is no detonator. Willis had made a bomb that would not go off, but it meant that he was not going to be able to have a parole, and he was going to be stuck. Harold was confused, and so he went to Willis, and he said, I, I know you did that on purpose. You were free. You were about to be out of here. You were going to be a free man. Why? Why did you do that? And Willis stared at the ground and said, I don't deserve freedom. I'm too ashamed to go out and face the world because of what I did 30 years ago. It's better if I stay right here in my cell for me and for everyone else. And shame kept him in his cell and his emotions controlled his actions. And tonight in our Mixed Emotion series, we're going to be starting off with shame. Shame has really been described as a powerful emotion uh, that's very similar to self-imprisonment. Right, because the, the doors of the cell of our mind, they might be open. Right? No one is holding anything against us. But we hold ourselves in the cell. We keep the chain on our hands because we think, man, it's easier to beat myself up than move on. It's easier to keep myself here than move forward and deal with it. It's, it's just better for everyone else if I just stay put. And most shame comes from the inside. Right? It comes from ourselves. It's self-imprisonment. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel shame for something you've done. And right as soon as I said the word shame, you thought your mind went right there. You thought, man, I, I don't want to deal with that tonight. Or maybe conversely, you feel shame because you haven't lived up to the expectations that you put on your life. You thought, by this point in my life, I thought I'd be further along. I thought I'd be further along in my career. I thought I'd be further along in relationships. I thought I'd be further along financially and in my walk with God. And you're not, and you're just ashamed of that you haven't lived up to the standard that you put for yourself and so whether it's something that you're ashamed of or something that you're ashamed that you haven't done this emotion keeps us imprisoned in our own mind in our own past away from moving on with our life away from connecting with other people in meaningful ways and most importantly away from connecting with our relationship with god and I bring this up because ultimately with this series, Mixed Emotion, like Scott said, we want to provide a roadmap for young adults. We want to help people, feel when, um, when, uh, help people know when emotions are running your life, what do we do? When my actions are being controlled by how I feel, what do I do when I'm in that place? And it's not so that we can learn to fix ourselves. It's not so that we can learn to replace positive emo- or negative emotions with positive emotions. That's not what we're talking about tonight. But it's learning to take our emotions to their creator, God himself, the only one who can tell us, man, here's how you deal with this and move on and be led not by emotions but by truth. And we're going to learn that sometimes you have to process and you've got to feel your emotions, but you don't feel them in a vacuum. You take them to the Lord. And we're going to see that God is a good God and he offers self-control. 
He offers freedom from being in the cell of self-imprisonment, from being chained by shame, and it's found only in Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. We want to help everyone move past shame, but I want to emphasize this on the front end. This cannot be a self-help talk. Jesus Christ is the only one who is strong enough and loving enough to properly guide us to emotional self-control. And so really the question is for us, when I find myself in a feeling of shame, when I find myself in any of the other emotions we're going to talk about, where do I go from there? How do I walk closer to God in obedience with God so that I'm not stuck, so that I'm not trapped, so I'm not enslaved by my own heart, but we're led by God's heart? And so tonight, before we talk about how we can be genuinely set free from shame, we need to understand why he is able to do that. Why can God free us from shame? Here's the deal. If we are ashamed of what we've done or what we haven't done, then first we need to understand why Jesus came to die for us. The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and we're naturally broken, which sounds a terrible way to start to talk about shame. Like, we're sinners. We're not that great. Like, cool. Making me feel better, Nick. And that leads to shame. Sin naturally leads to shame. But here's the good news. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Not our ability to love him. Not our ability to love ourselves. God demonstrated his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you've heard this a thousand times or this is the first time you're hearing this, do not miss this. Jesus Christ loved you so deeply that he came and he lived a perfect life. Something that no one in this planet could ever have done. And he lived a perfect life and he died for you. And he took our sin on the cross and he said, I'm going to pay for that. And not only that, but he did everything that we couldn't do. He lived up to the standard that we can never reach. And he was resurrected three days later. And he gives us a free gift of forgiveness of sin. And he says, everything that you've done that you're ashamed of, your guilt from that can be wiped clean. And we're going to talk about the difference between guilt and shame. But then he also says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you my standing before God. And Jesus says, this is your identity now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not a prisoner. He says, I no longer see you as a sinner. I don't even just see you as okay. Jesus says, in me, you are righteous and blameless before God. Man, that is good news to start off talking about shame. And then and only then can we begin to fight shame because that's the pardon that we need. First, we need the cell to be open. We need the prison doors to be unlocked. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we find forgiveness from sin. And then we learn how do we live the life that Jesus has already purchased for us. So tonight as we talk about shame, we're going to look at a story of one of Jesus' closest friends, his most committed followers, the Apostle Peter. And we're going to look at what was quite possibly the worst night of Peter's life and how God chose to restore him. My prayer is that as we look at God and his love for Peter, we'd understand God's love for us and that we would be taught the roadmap of not how to be controlled by shame, but how to live for God. So with that, let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, God, and I recognize that there is probably a lot of heaviness in the room. God, some people are here tonight, God, and they have probably not been to church much, or if they have, they have only felt shame from other people. God, and I just pray, would they see 
not how other people talk about them or have talked about them, God, and not how they see themselves, but God, would they see what you have to say? The truth that your word says, God, and for the people who are followers of you, God, I, I just, I know that we don't live this life perfectly. And so, God, I pray that for if there's any of us or all of us, God, who find ourselves in places of shame or not living up to the standard that we want to attain for you, God, would we realize how you actually see us and how you actually care for us? And God, would this come not from me and not from my word, but God, from your powerful word, which is living and active. And we pray all this through your son's beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so tonight we're going to be in John 21. And if you have a copy of God's word, you can open up there. If not, the verses will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Stop by the Connect Center afterwards. John 21, 1 through 3 starts off. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. And those two other disciples really got the short end of the stick. John's like, it's not important to know who they were. Everyone else, we're going to name them. Those two, who cares? That's tough. Talk about shame. Got to laugh a little bit. It's a heavy night. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. For context of this story, to put it in place of where it is in God's word, this is about three weeks after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. And if you're not familiar with the story of Jesus' death, that night that he died, he knew that he was going to be killed by the authorities. He knew that one of his own followers, Judas, was going to betray him. And so he tells his disciples, you all are going to abandon me. I know that this is going to happen. I'm about to go and die for the sins of the world, and you all are going to leave me. You're not going to stand by my side. And Peter, he hears this, and he takes this as a personal challenge. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Peter's that friend, I don't know if you guys have this friend, but the friend that like anytime there's the smallest challenge, like anything that they can jump at, Peter's like, I'm not just going to talk about it, I'm just going to plow through the conversation. Like I am just going to blow this thing up right here. And Peter, he looks at Jesus and he tells him, I'll never abandon you. I'll never deny you. And yet over the next couple hours, proceeds to have what is probably his worst night on earth. And it gets so bad that he denies that he even knows who Jesus is. That he even knows who he is. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter goes and he's incredibly ashamed of this. And, and Jesus rises again on the third day, and the disciples see Jesus arisen two times before our story tonight. But Peter and Jesus have really not dealt with Peter's denial. They haven't dealt with this huge roadblock in their relationship. So we find Peter in John 21 going fishing. He's back in his hometown, he's with his boys, and he says, we should go fishing. And this is where we begin to see Peter's shame coming out. Because he has gone back to fishing. He's gone back to his old life who he was before he was a follower of Jesus. And before you're asking, Nick, what do you have against fishermen? Like, what is so bad about fishermen? Nothing. Fishing is great. It's a fun, fun hobby. You should do it. 
But the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 tells us that the first time that Jesus calls Peter to follow him, Peter left his nets. We're going to check that story out. Jesus had been teaching the crowds in Luke chapter 5. And he'd been using Peter's boat as a platform. And he turns to Peter and says, Peter, let down your net on the right side of the boat. And and then we pick up in Luke 5, verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We've worked all night and we caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, James and John, and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats. And there were so many fish, look at this, that they began to sink. The boats were sinking because of how many fish Jesus had provided. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. The first time that Peter meets Jesus, Jesus brings him all these fish, so much so that Peter's brother Andrew and James and John are all struggling to get these fish back to shore. And Peter sees this, and he just knows, I am in the presence of something divine right now. I don't fully understand it. I don't know what's going on. But I don't deserve to be in the presence of this man. And this is where we see a quick but very important distinction between shame and conviction and guilt. See, this is important because we need to see this is conviction right here. Peter is just admitting that he's a sinner. And it's important because if we're going to accept God's help, we first need to say, God, I'm helpless. If I'm going to say I need help, I need to tell God, God, I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to fix these things. But here's the difference. Shame says, because of what I've done or haven't done or who I am or who I am not, I can't have a relationship with God. But conviction and guilt says, God, I need you to rescue me into a relationship with you. And it's so different. Shame says, God, I, I, I don't deserve a relationship. With, or not, not I don't deserve. Both of them do that. Shame says, I can't have it. God, you don't want me. God, I, we can't be in a relationship. And conviction says, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. I need you. But it trusts that God is powerful enough to restore that relationship. And look at what Jesus says to Peter in this. He looks at Peter and says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. He says, Peter, it's not about you. I am going to empower you. I'm going to one day die for your sins. I'm going to change your life. And so it says that Peter left everything to follow Jesus. And that word left is so pivotal. It means that they abandoned their claims to their nets. So when it says that they left their nets, it says we're not just like dropping them and saying, all right, Dad, like we'll, we'll be back for these at some point. And Dad's like, I, what am I doing with all this fish now? They're saying we're never coming back to this. I'm never going back to this life ever again. And yet three years later in John 21, where do we find Peter? Right back in the same lake, doing the same thing that he said he would never do, 
And he goes back to his old life. Peter, who had been changed by God, he had been given a new job as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had been traveling with Jesus for three years. He had been teaching and helping people. He had seen miracles. He had helped perform miracles. He's ashamed of Jesus in his hour of need. And Peter says, surely God won't want me anymore. I'm going to go back to what I'm good at. And he goes back to fishing, and he catches nothing. And this is where some of us find ourselves tonight. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're a Christian, and you've believed in Jesus, and you've been called to follow him, and yet you have not lived up to the standard that you wanted to. And maybe that's because you got caught up in sin, and instead of running to God, you ran away. And you ran to your old life and your old sin habits and your old friends and your old priorities. And you do this because you think, man, God gave me that first chance, but surely he doesn't want me anymore. I, I blew it after that, and now I don't deserve a relationship with God because I messed up the shot that he gave me. And maybe you just haven't done the things that you've said you wanted to. Maybe you're like, man, I haven't made enough disciples, or I haven't read the Bible enough, or I haven't prayed enough, I haven't memorized enough verses. And you think, as we often do, God loves me for the things I do for him. And God would love me more if I impress him. And you think that you're not qualified to serve God anymore. Because you didn't measure up to the expectation that you put on yourself. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never followed Jesus. And you still have shame in your life, but shame is actually keeping you from conviction. And you think that God would never want you. And it's so strong, your shame is so strong in your life that you've tried to clean up your life and you've tried to go to church. You come to the block sometimes, you read the Bible. And you think, God, I'm doing things to try to come back to you. God, I'm trying my hardest. But deep down, your shame is saying, no, you're not good enough. God will never accept this. God would never accept someone like you. And that's kept you from a relationship with God. And you showed up tonight because a coworker invited you or you just found your way in here. But you come into a church and most of the time all you feel is coldness. And for either one of you, can I tell you, that is not where God wants you. Because look at how Jesus pursues Peter. Peter has gone back to his old life. He's taken up fishing again, but then Jesus shows up. In John 21, verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't recognize it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, it's a, a term of endearment, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, or he stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Jesus shows up in the exact same way that he first did to Peter. Performs the exact same miracle when he first called Peter. As if to say, Peter, why are you running? Do you not remember that I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to save the lost? Jesus says that he came to leave the 99 and seek the one. Jesus says that he is a father who runs to meet the prodigal son. 
said, Peter, why are you running? I'm always going to come back after you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And the Apostle John, who's the author, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he recognizes right away and says, man, we've seen this before. That's got to be Jesus. That's got to be the Lord on the shore. And so Peter, he just doesn't know what to do. And he puts on his clothes and he just dives into the ocean. And he just starts swimming towards God. Which is really just like, man, you could have just been in a boat. But I love it because what was once depart from me, I'm a sinful man, becomes I've got to get as close as I can to the God who won't let me go. I've got to get as close as I can to this God who loves me. Point number one, shame creates distance from God. God closes the distance to us. Do you know tonight that God wants you to follow him? And it does not matter if you've been wandering from God, if you've gone back to your old life, if you've never followed him in the first place, or if you're just in a a season of apathy. God wants always closes the distance to pursue us. Why? Because that's who God is. That is just the God that He is. He is always the one that initiates towards us. And our initial salvation, the initial saving from sin, God came down to earth to save us. He didn't say, hey, earn your way up here to me. Hey, you got to try to build yourself a life that will impress me. He said, I'm coming to you. You can't do anything to earn this. It's by grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And and we realize, man, I'm starting to get the picture this is not about me at all. This is more about the character of God than it is anything that I've done. God says, exactly. That's exactly what I want you to see. It's, It's not about me. It's about God and His faithfulness. And then we live our life in light of God's faithfulness and we cling to Him and we're desperate to stay close to God. It's not, God, I'm doing these things to stay close to you. It's saying, God, I'm staying close to you. Show me what to do. I don't know what to do, God. Teach me. We walk in obedience with him, not because we're trying to earn his approval, but because we know that we're loved. So we think, God, I just show me how to live. I don't know what to do. And he comes in and he takes off the chains and he opens the door to the cell and he says, let's go. You're free. But then he says, if you walk out of this cell, you've got to deal with your shame. And you've got to leave it right here. Romans 10, 11 says, none who call upon the name of the Lord will be put to shame. And he says, shame is incompatible with walking closely with me. And he says, we're going to deal with this. And it's going to be painful. He's going to bring it up. Look at this. John 21, 8 through 14. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. That's really important. Remember that. With fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, which is crazy. This is a side note. These fish are about two pounds. There's 153 fish. That's like 306 pounds of fish that Peter just yanks up onto the boat. Apparently, if you want to get shredded, just become a fisherman. (laughs) And there's so many of them, the neck's not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. 
Now, none of them did disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Peter, he throws himself in the ocean, right? He's just like, I got to get to Jesus. And he swims up on the shore, and the first thing that he sees when he comes up on shore is Jesus standing next to a charcoal fire. And I said that that's important. Why? I believe God is using this to draw our minds to Peter's denial. Why? The word fire is translated in the uh, English Standard Version 465 times. So there's 465 times that some Greek word is used for fire. The word that's used for this specific type of fire, anthrakia, a charcoal fire, it's used two times. Only two times of 465. Once in John 18 at Peter's denial, and once at John 21 at Peter's restoration. The only two times that God chooses to use this specific word in the entire New Testament. And so you can imagine, uh, Peter's, he's seen Jesus a couple times now, it says this is the third time. And so he might be thinking, okay, like, I guess we're just moving on. Like, maybe we're just not talking about that denial thing. Can we just, we're just doing this? And God says, no, 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 no. I love you. I'm pursuing you, but we're going to talk about this. We're going to deal with this right now. I'm going to deal with the source of your shame. And we have to be careful about this, uh, reading into this too much, but I imagine Peter just seeing that fire. I put myself in his situation, and my stomach just drops. And his mind just instantly transports himself to his biggest failure. Three weeks earlier, I've said it's Peter's worst night, and let me explain to you why. The account of Peter's denial, it's found in all four Gospels, and we're going to read from Luke 22. Let me give you guys a little bit more background on Peter's worst night. So I mentioned already that Jesus said, you're all going to abandon me. And Peter says, no way, I've got your back. And it is actually so much worse than that. Peter, what he actually says in his fullness is, Lord, even if all these disciples leave you, I'm never going to leave you. In fact, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. He says, I'm so much better than the other disciples. They're going to leave you. I'm sticking right by you this whole night. I love you so much more than they ever could. Jesus tries to wash Peter's feet. Peter resists him. And Jesus says, you have to let me wash your feet. And he says, no, no, no. Okay, then wash all of me. And Jesus corrects him again. He says, I don't think you understand what's going on here. He's rebuked by the Lord, corrected by the Lord in front of all of his friends. And then Jesus, after dinner, he's feeling the weight of his upcoming death. And he goes out to a garden to pray. And he asks Peter and James and John, pray with me. My soul is burdened to the point of death. One of his closest friends says, I'm in my hour of need right now. I need you to stay awake and pray with me. And while Jesus is sweating blood out of stress, Peter falls asleep. Not once, not twice, but three times. And the only way that he's really woken up is because Jesus comes, wakes him up, and there's a mob coming to arrest Jesus. And imagine Peter waking up and he sees the mob with their torches and the soldiers coming. He says, what have I done? 
And so the mob comes up, and Peter's thinking, man, this is my shot. I'm going to defend Jesus right here. I said I was going to do it. He pulls a sword, and he cuts off a man's ear. And I, I don't think he was aiming for the ear, right? Swordsmen, I don't think you can just cut off an ear purposefully. I think he's going for the kill, and he's just a bad swordsman. He was ready to kill someone, which is something that Jesus said, hey, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then Peter sees Jesus pick up the man's ear and heal him. He says, put your sword away, Peter. I have to go. And Peter turns and he runs away from the Lord. And that's where we pick up in the flashback to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 54, Then they seized him, being Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire, again, John 18, 18 says it's a charcoal fire. It's basically a heap of burning coals. In the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And meanwhile, within eyesight, Jesus is being mocked, slapped, yelled at, spit on, and beaten. And a servant girl who's probably just 15 years old, she sees Peter in the light and looking closely at him says, this man was with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. The Gospel of Mark says, I don't even understand what you're talking about right now. I have no clue who this Jesus guy is. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Matthew says he denies it with an oath. I swear I don't know him. And after an interval of about an hour, Peter sits on this for an hour. Still another insisted, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Matthew says at this point, Peter starts calling curses down upon himself. He starts cursing and saying, I don't know him. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus, who was being questioned and beaten and mocked in direct eyesight of Peter, knows at this moment Peter has totally abandoned him. And he turns and he looks at Peter. And Peter makes eye contact with Jesus. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He goes away sobbing bitterly. He's ashamed of himself. He's weeping. Just a few hours before this, he said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die for you. And now he's fallen asleep when he wasn't supposed to. He's attacked a man. He's fled the scene. He's cursed himself. And he said, I never even knew him. The man who had taken him when he was on his knees said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He said, no, don't be afraid. He said, Peter, I want you. Within the eyesight of God himself around a charcoal fire, Peter said, I never knew him. I never knew him. And three weeks later, that same God is standing on the shore next to a charcoal fire looking at Peter, performing the same miracle that he did the first time Jesus called him. And Peter is reminded of his biggest shame, of his biggest failure, how he did what he said he would never do, and what he didn't do what he said he would. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way, because I know that I have. 
Maybe, like I said, it's the things that we say we're going to do for God, but then we fail. God, I, I don't pray enough. I don't know my Bible enough. I don't share my faith like I want to. I've been distracted but from the things of God by my own interests. And maybe it's sin that you said you would never go back to. And we did a whole series on sin, and then James added some more right on top of that, and so I'm not going to beat a dead horse right now. But you think about your failure, and like Peter, you're ashamed, and it feels bitter. You think, man, I've let God down. And we're reminded of these shameful memories, and they well up inside of us, and we feel embarrassed, and we feel distant from God. And I'm telling you, I have been there more times than I'd like to admit in my life. But instead of running towards God's grace, we run away, and we let our emotions control us in that moment. And we start building up walls so that I don't have to confront the source of my shame. Because surely God won't want me anymore. Surely God would not be so crazy as to forgive me again and again and again and again and again and again. And then Jesus comes in and says, I did forgive you. And he pricks our heart and we see something that reminds us of our shame. And maybe it's a location and maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a person maybe it's a word and we think god i I don't want to deal with that right now it's too painful i'd rather be controlled with my by my emotions and be cut off on my relationship with you than deal with that failure of sin and if that's you tonight and you felt that then you can imagine how peter felt and you can imagine he sees the fire and jesus says hey bring some of those fish and so peter runs to the boat and he says man i'm gonna get these fish for jesus like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this right away. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to let him down again. And then after breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and says, let's go for a walk. And, and they know that they're walking, verses we're not going to get to tonight, but the Apostle John is following behind them while they're walking and talking. Which, as a side note, is like, come on, man. This is a kind of a special moment. And John's just like, hey, what you guys talking about? Like, I'm trying to write this down from a journal. I, I relate to John in a lot of ways. I've had to learn, don't be the friend that's just like, hey, what you guys talking about? Like, oh, this, oh, this was a private conversation. I'm going to step back. I had to learn that one personally. John's snooping. But John 21, 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, the only other time that P- Jesus calls Peter Simon, son of John, he's either blessing him directly or giving him the nickname Peter and saying, I'm changing you. It's a term of affection and endearment, and it's special. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Or, you said you never abandoned me. You said you love me more than all the rest of the disciples. You want to stick by that? He said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. He's not going to compare himself anymore. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. I want you to share my word with young believers. John 21, 16 through 17, he asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Same question. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Take care of my people. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. That word means he was thrown into sorrow. God is taking Peter's shame and he's helping it translate to grief and conviction. 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul says, Godly grief 
produces repentance. And so God is confirming, Peter, you said you loved me. Do you understand now? Peter's grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. God, you know that I've failed you. God, you know that I can't do this by myself. God, you know that I'm just a sinner. But you know that you said that you would forgive sins. And you know that I've put my trust in you. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want you to share the word with my people. What Jesus is saying, Peter, here, not only am I going to continue to pursue you, but I'm going to entrust my message to you to take to the people that I'm trying to rescue, to take to the people that I have rescued. Peter, I don't just want you. I want you to go out and serve me. It doesn't matter who you were, what you've done. That's in the past. You go and you serve me. Point number two, final point tonight. Shame tells us to hide from God. God tells us to make him known. Peter is a man who denied Jesus. By all accounts, we would look at that man and say, he failed. That, you should not entrust that man anything. God says, I want you and I want you to make me known. And it hurts, right? Jesus lovingly confronts Peter's shame and his past and his failure, his inability, and his sin. But this represents a huge shift in Peter's life. Shortly, the book of Acts, Peter, he turns into this bold leader who's so confident that he goes out before the religious authorities and said, you people put Jesus to death. And Peter's willing to be imprisoned. Peter's confident to go out and share the truth about Jesus. Jesus even tells him, Peter, you're going to die for me. He goes out in John 21, 18 through 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He's talking about crucifixion here. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And by saying this, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And the Bible does not restore, uh, re- record Peter's actual death, but there are a plethora of historical church history documents that let us know Peter did in fact die for his faith in Jesus Christ. The Roman Emperor Nero was putting Christians to death, and Peter and his wife were taken to be crucified. And church historians tell us that in their final moments, they look at each other, and Peter's final words to his wife were, Remember the Lord. And Peter uses his final moments to point people to the glory of Jesus, even at the point of death. And we get this picture that God loves to use sinners. In fact, the Bible says that God has chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. And God looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you're the man that I want to use. God does not take people who have it all together. God does not take people with no shame. God does not take people with no baggage. He takes people who are broken beyond repair and he says, I will fix you. I will give you a home. I will give you somewhere to belong. There is no shame that you can have that is too far gone for Jesus Christ to heal and to wipe away. And if you feel dirty and if you feel like you're stuck in the cell of your shame, Jesus says, come on out. 
I'm going to make you as white as snow. So I just want to give you real quick to close a couple applications. If you're wondering, okay, what do I do about this? That's all great, Nick, but what do I do now? The words come in in Jesus' final words to Peter, follow me. Now, words normally used when Jesus invites someone to be their disciple, but in this instance, it's much more powerful. Jesus is saying, don't just follow me as my disciple, cling to me. You have to hold fast to me. And so the idea is that we follow so closely that we are right beside God. Just like Jonathan was saying, I'm reading the Bible, not because I'm trying to impress God, not because I'm trying to, like, figure it all out myself because it's just like, I just want to get to know the God who loves me. And so first, if you're here tonight, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. The first step to living a life free of shame is to put your trust in Jesus Christ. There's no self-help here. We don't have that for you. But what we do have, we can offer freely a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you just tell God, I'm a sinner, and you realize that you're made new and you're made clean and the old you is dead and gone and you are made a new creation and all of Jesus' perfection is credited to you. And you realize that Jesus is your life now. And so if you're here, you follow Jesus and you accept his identity and his finished work for you. And now if you've made that deception, or that decision, your practical next step is to remember God is closing the distance to you and then you've got to work with him to deal openly with your shame. Underneath your seat, there's a note card and a pen. Uh, You can grab that if you want. I've found this to be something that's very helpful for me. Like I said, I'm not free from shame. There's no one who is. Um, I I saw this one time, and it was a really powerful illustration. and, And they just said, hey, just write down whatever it is that you feel like keeps you from God. Write down whatever it is that you feel like you're ashamed of, that you feel like, man, if, if God did this, or if God knew this, he wouldn't want me. If people knew this, they wouldn't want me. And you don't have to put your name on it or anything, and you don't even have to do this if you don't want to. And it can be anything from the biggest sin of your life to just like, man, I don't feel like I pray enough. Whatever it is right now that you're feeling like, man, I'm ashamed of this. You write that down, and then we're going to have a time where you come and you just throw it away. You just toss it in the trash and you leave it behind. Because Jesus has said, I bought and I paid for that sin. And what the Lord has determined clean, let no man call unclean. And so just, we're going to take a moment and you can write that down. And then you do this again and again and again and again and again and again and again until Jesus comes back or you see him again in heaven one day. Because here's the deal, none of us are going to live the Christian life perfectly. And every single time you feel shame creeping in, you take it to God and you repent of whatever sin you need to, but you say, God, I need a fresh start. And he says, my mercies are new every morning. And then you make him known. Just like Jonathan said, he's telling people about it. Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. Go out and tell people. And we take this thing that we were once ashamed of and I've heard it said we take our mess and we make it a message and we just tell God or we tell people this is who I was but God saved me and I'm not that way anymore and that's how you know man I'm not ashamed of this anymore because that's not who I am and I'm not defined by these things and you share that you have a new life in Jesus Christ and so as you guys are writing and the band starts playing I want to close with a psalm that's been special to me 
the last month. Because we have to remember, again, this is not trying to replace a negative emotion with a positive emotion. It's not trying to clean up our life. It's trying to see who is Jesus. So it's fitting that at the close of our night, we would fix our eyes on Jesus. And again, the band's going to start playing after we pray. And if you feel like you've got something you want to throw away, you write it down on the note card and you come throw away in the trash. Make room for each other in the aisle. Do whatever you have to do. But this is the psalm that I want to close with. Psalm 103, 8 through 12. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Listen to this. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, knowing that we are sinners in need of a Savior, God, and you've declared that if we put our faith in you, God, that we have a new life, God, but sometimes we don't want to believe you, and I don't want to believe you. But God, would we take this moment to realize that we're believing lies? And God, would we realize that you are pursuing us in any distance that's there? It's just in our minds. And that at any point, we can draw near to you. And God, if there's sin, we we can just bring it to you and say, forgive me, and you forgive freely. And so God, I pray that if there's people here tonight that are following you and they've been holding something on. God, I pray that tonight is the night that they realize that does not define them anymore because they are defined by their identity that you have bought for them. And sin does not define them anymore and failure does not define them anymore and hurt does not define them anymore. You define them. And God, I pray for the person who doesn't have a relationship with you. God, I pray again, would tonight be the night that they see that you're a good God. God, we need you to help us control our emotions. God, we need you to teach us what it means to be followers of you. And so God, I pray that tonight, would tonight be the time where people find freedom and find that the prison prison doors are open and the chains are gone. We've been set free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.